Metuneter Volume 2, Anuk Ausar, The Kemetic Initiation System, beginning at the bottom of page 22 in Chapter 1, The Ausurian Religion, The Way of the Ausurian Religion. In the preceding section, I identified three divine faculties in man and the three lower ones. It was made clear that man comes into the world with the higher divine faculties, which are an essence of his or her salvation in an awkward state, hence the problems in his or her life. The way of the Alsurian religion is therefore a system of practices aimed at awakening the dormant higher faculties given the Western approach to behavioral change, which stresses the impartation of information on the presumption that behavioral problems are due chiefly to ignorance and the way of thinking and will therefore yield to education the faculty awakening emphasis of the Alsurian religion cannot be overstressed. Moral behavior, for example, does not come from learning certain values, but it is the expression of a specific faculty. This is the reason for the absence of a consensus on moral values and even on a definition of what constitutes morality in the Western world. As long as the faculty governing morality is slumbering, reliance on moral teachings can only produce the bizarre contradictions and seeming hypocrisy so prevalent in the moral sphere of the Western world. The procedures for awakening the higher dormant faculties and altering one's life cycle to harmonize with the new inputs from these faculties is well known as initiation. It is a system not of merely professing belief in God or seeking divine assistance while remaining in a lowly state of ignorance, egoism, and impotence, but of growing and changing into our divine essence. God saves man by endowing him or her with its three divine attributes. The true worship, the true honoring, the true love and praising of God is in the striving to awaken the divine qualities that are the essence of our being. This chapter answers the first question we must deal with before we can proceed to live our lives successfully. But we can proceed to create behavior shaping and regulating institutions and systems religion, government, economics, sociology, psychology, family, education, etc., through which to create and maintain the order necessary for a harmonious and productive life. Thus, question is, of course, what kind of being is man? Western culture acknowledges that within man there is an animalistic nature and a human nature. The cumulative effect of Western studies concerning man's behavior and prescriptions for social shows, social order shows that of two, of the two, it considers the animal to be the essence of man's wake up. We can see this in the Western definitions of marriage, love, paternity, maternity, etc., whose definitions are based on biological factors, unlike the African, for example, which are abstract and legalistic. We further see it in Western man's classification of man as an animal and the numerous studies of animal behavior aimed at finding norms for the human condition to the animal and human factors in man, the African adds the divine. It goes further in asserting that the divine in man in his essence. 
Thus, the African answer the question, what kind of being is man? Is an empathetic, is an emphatic a God? We will see that self-image held by a group of people fully determines the nature of their culture and technology. Chapter 2. To know the child, you must know man, who is made in the likeness of God. Thus, to know man, you must know God. Chapter 2. The Comedic Knowledge of God. Before the First Time, the Subjective Realm. I hope you are wondering if you are a God. Why don't you know this form from your daily experiences and that part of majority of people? The answer is in evolution. From the spiritual perspective, mankind is not fully evolved yet. As a whole, we are subject to a common schedule of growth. Most of us are either in an infant or adolescent stage of spiritual growth, while a few, comparatively a handful, are fully evolved. The infant stage is governed by our animal nature, the adolescent by our human or rational nature, while the adult stage is governed by our divine faculties. The proceeding was offered not as a proof of your divinity that will come when you complete the procedures detailed in this manual. What's important at this point is the realization of the full implication of making of man in God's likeness. The African sages view man's day-to-day activities to secure a living, establish and preserve his institutions, family, etc. as creative acts. Man must therefore approach these in the same manner that God creates and maintains the world. This led to the famous comedic maxim, as above, so below. A correspondence of that which is above is God, and of that which is below is man. Since God accomplishes its creative task through the manipulation of metaphysical agencies, as we will later see, man must therefore rely predominantly on this approach. Failing to understand this, Western scholars dubbed this practice as magical, And in full oblivion to his ignorance of exactly what he meant by this term, regulated such practices to the realm of superstition. Since God is eternal, so is man. Thus we can understand the source of the Alsurian doctrine of immortality. Since God is omnipresent, we find in the spiritual literature of most people an urging for man to recognize the unity of all men as well as the oneness of man in nature. Before we can fully detail how man must live in the likeness of God, we must first gain full insight into the nature of God. Netter. All the Kamau thought about God was represented in the word netter. Since Western scholars believe that the key to understanding the comedic notion of God was or should be tied up in this word, the typical way of Western left brain thinking. They have been vexed to no end by the failure to discover its meaning. Of course, we should not be shocked to learn that the prejudiced mind will not be bothered by a similar situation in this camp. Westerners also lack an exact meaning for the word God in the same manner that Christian philosophers tackled this problem by defining God in terms of references to its attributes. So did the comedic philosophers at least 3,000 years before them. 
It is interesting that none of the discussion by Western scholars on the meaning of netter took into consideration the insurmountable problems that are encountered in defining what is by nature undefinable. You will remember from the preceding chapter that the key characteristic of the supreme being is formlessness. We can run into similar problems even with concrete objects. If, for example, you have never seen a telephone or some other object that operates in a similar manner and you read that there exists an apparatus system a process for transmitting sound or speech to a distant point by an electric device, which is known as a telephone, and you come across a radio, a walkie-talkie, a telephone, and a CB, you would, by definition, call them all telephone. You would be 100% correct that there is nothing in the world itself to distinguish one of these objects from the other. Yet the definition itself ties all of these objects together, although they are different in some way. We will see that this is one of the linguistic principles at work and the use of the word netter. Although netter is the one cause and material basis of all things, anything which serves as the cause of formative basis for something can be called by function of the definition as in the case of the definition of the telephone serving for the radio, CB, etc., a netter, hence the existence neturu, but netter, but defining netter is much more difficult from the simple fact that the defining process, as it says itself, is a process of making finite in order to distinguish a thing from all else. It is therefore intrinsically opposed to the undefined, formless, thingness reality that it is the same time the subterrane of all objects in the world, netter. In essence, it represents the state in which life has not been distinguished or differentiated into the forms as in, in as the world, because Western thought has not arrived at a con consensus that there is such a state. It has no terms for life in this state. Words like being and existence relate to outer realm of forms to explain through Western languages the undefined state of the underlying source of the world, we are forced thus to speak in awkward terms. We must substitute words for our own or specialized usage of coinage like subsis and insis for exists or capitalize the being, the, capitalize the letters of being and place it in quotation marks to give it a proprietary usage for supreme being and so on. We can, of course, to great advantage, adopt the means used by the comedic sages of transforming into proper nouns, the common nouns and adjectives used to indicate the attributes of God, the adjective formless into proper noun, the formless and the common noun, nothing, into a proper noun, the nothing, Thus, we are now in a position to understand that the comedic word for God, netter, was defined by reference to its attributes. Thus, when we read the comedic scriptures that the God, Atim, did so-and-so, or that the God, Amen, did so-and-so. If we substitute the formless for the hidden in so-and-so, respectively, it becomes clear that we are dealing with synonymous attributes, promoted to names 
of the one and only God. This procedure was known to some European scholars in his selected essays on language, mythology, and religion, volume 2, page 425. Frederick Max Muller, an Anglo-German Orientalist and comparative philologist, states the following in the chapter on Semitic monotheism. Quote, if we examine the numerous names of the deity in the Semitic dialects, we find that they are all objective adjectives expressive of moral qualities. There is El, Strong, Bel or Balau, Lord, Bil, Saim, Lord of Heaven, Adonis, Lord, Marnas, Our Lord, Shet, Master, Afterwards, a Demon, Malak, Milcom, Malika, Malika, King Elin, the highest, Ram and Ramon, the exalted, and many more names, all originally adjectives and expresses of certain general qualities of the deity, but all raised by one or other of the Semitic tribes to be the names of God. Emphasis, mine. End quote. It is very interesting to observe how Western scholars can see so clearly when they have to prove their religion is monotheistic, yet they fail to acknowledge the same principles at work in African religious practice, from whom, by the way, they receive their religious teachings. Since these attributes are best understood in the context of the functions performed by the Supreme Being in the world, which is to create, preserve, and destroy the world, let's look at the comedic literature on creation, cosmogony. Outline of cosmogony. The Cometans, for the most part, were very methodical and careful in their thinking. All of the accounts of the creation with slight variations exhibited a division into clearly demarcated stages. Since the creation is a differentiation in the undifferentiated energy matter consciousness, preliminary to stage one of creation is the explanation of the qualities of the undifferentiated source and essence of the world. Since subjective being is in an inactive, uncreated state before the creation. Stage one of creation explains the self-creation of being into a creator as the first act of creation. Stage two deals with the objectification of a circumscribed area of undifferentiated energy matter, wherein the world would be manifested, thus is made necessary as the energy matter source of the world is infinite. Stage three deals with the establishment of order and the cofactors of life forms as the foundation of the world. Stage four deals with the creation of the nominal and phenomenal planes, the two grand subdivisions of the manifested world. Stage five deals with the fundamental intelligencies that administrate the world and man's spirit. Stage one of cosmogony before the first time and the material basis of the world new. The infinity of the number of things and events manifesting in and as the world provides the major clue to the nature of God, netter in the origin of the world, 
The fact that things and events making up the world are infinite in number clearly demonstrates that God and the formative substance of the world are themselves infinite in nature. The term infinite, of course, is synonymous with not finite, undefined, unlimited, unshaped, undifferentiated, and so on. This means that the energy matter out of which all things are formed must be in its essential state, unformed, undefined, undifferentiated, etc. If the material basis of the world had any essential definitions, these would act as limiting factors to its ability to be transformed infinitely. Its essential lack of definition is an absolute requirement for God's creative omnipotence. The Kamau metamorphosized this state of energy matter as an infinite expanse of water, which they called new, or less frequently, none. In everyday speech of the Kamau, the word new was used for bodies of water, the inundation of inundation, flood pool, etc. It obviously became a convenient metaphor readily accessible to everyone for illustrating the general state of energy matter. Water is formless and of itself it does not take on any shape nor does it resist being shaped. New is also a common noun transformed into a proper noun to overcome the problem of not finding words to define the undefinable. In the Kabbalistical tradition of Canaan, known to the world as Hebraic, the undifferentiated material basis of the world was called Sof, from the Kemetic Sophic. This is the origin of the Greek Sophia, which was compounded with philos, love, to form the term philosophy, which dealt originally with the study love, obviously by the wise of the origin and underlying structure of the world. The metaphoric representation of the original state of matter energy is also to be seen in the Old Testament, which is the original state of matter, is a watery chaos. And here ends the reading on page 31 of chapter 2, The Comedic Knowledge of God.